Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so honored to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, child and teen development specialist, author, and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy, but we're in this together, and we have some great people helping us along the way. According to Forbes magazine, the most sought-after attributes in an employee are not technical. All are human-centered, including the ability to work in a team, make decisions, and prioritize. But authors and experts have found a sad shift regardless. During a lecture at Rochester Institute for Technology, Alan Chachinov urged design students not to eliminate human input. He admitted, today... If you want to know what's wrong with a car engine, you can't even open it. You need to plug it into a computer. High schools are dropping shop class. Soon, no one will know how to do anything. Is he on to something? What do we lose when we gain so much in technology? My next guest says, in this age when Google, GPS, and artificial intelligence can perform so many of our basic functions, it's gotten to the point where we need to be actively human so that we are more effective and less overwhelmed. We have so many tools to simplify our lives. They think for us, navigate for us, create for us, entertain for us. But it often seems that these tools that are meant to simplify leave us busier, crazier, and more all over the place than ever. I don't know about you, but I often feel like I'm being shot out of a cannon, running from place to place without a slowdown in sight. Now, we've talked about technology with Sue Chef and Devorah Heitner and some other wonderful guests, and we've also talked about mindfulness not too long ago with crowd favorite Dr. Laura Markham, but we've gotten to a point in our lives where we know that there's a huge digital impact right now, and we need help thriving and surviving in this digital world without losing ourselves and losing our children to screens and technology. And I don't mean just losing the time that we're spending on these devices and being plugged in, but what we might be losing in terms of creativity, curiosity, empathy, compassion, health, memory, How can we exist in this digital world, maintain what makes us beautifully human, and become what my next guest calls durable? Jennifer Joy Madden is the founder of DurableHuman.com. She is a veteran broadcast news writer, health journalist, parent educator, digital media adjunct professor, and proud parent of three durable young adults. Speaking on the TEDx stage and to other audiences, Jennifer often leads events amidst the splendor of nature. She has distilled her science background and rich life experience into two books, 
the Philosophical Inspiring the Durable Human Manifesto, Practical Wisdom for Living and Parenting in the Digital World, and the Practical How to Be a Durable Human, Revive and Thrive in the Digital Age Through the Power of Self-Design. Welcome Jennifer Joy Madden to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Well, thank you. I am so happy to be here. Well, before we get into the bulk of the interview, for those who haven't yet gotten their hands on your books, How to Be a Durable Human or The Durable Human Manifesto, we'd love to know what gets you up in the morning and what got you so fascinated with how to help people become durable humans. And please, of course, tell us what it means to be durable in your mind during this digital age. Sure. Uh, Well, durable came to me after a while of observing how my children were experiencing life differently. So I had my first child and she was very typical of little kids. She was curious, she took her time looking at things, she played with all sorts of dress up and she'd go outside and she just was experiencing life in what used to be a typical fashion for a little kid. And then 10 years later, I had my youngest child. And it was really strange because he was less interested in going outside, mostly because there were more entertaining devices inside the house that hadn't been there when my daughter was growing up. And I just saw him happy playing Pajama Sam and other things on my desktop computer. And he was just less interested in doing some other things that she used to do. And it started to bother me that he was missing out. I just, in the back of my head, I'm like, you know what? If he's spending time on these devices, he's, he's missing out on something else. So I just pondered this over a period of years, observing how smartphones were proliferating in the world and then starting to see signs among adults that we were behaving differently toward each other and even ourselves were behaving differently. And I came to this word durable because I felt that some of our f- our faculties and our features and our attributes were being sidelined or kind of drummed out by how we were interacting with these new devices that had come into society. Mm-hmm. I think that each human, the way we're distinguished from machines is that we each have this special spark inside of us of stuff. Our own curiosity is what 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 turns us on what do we want to pursue i think that the ultimate disservice a parent can do is to not allow their child to bloom that to sort of allow that spark to come to a flame uh by allowing the kid to be sort of caught up in maybe a game that's just the same sort of thing over and over again it doesn't develop any other aspects of themselves. And I fear that it may be that if kids are allowed to just fill up all their time like that, they may never access that spark inside of them. Mm. And that's what's going to differentiate us from robots and AI going forward is that we humans have to keep contributing and coming up with new ideas of our own. Otherwise, we lose our value. We actually lose it. And so we can't contend with these other smart devices that are out there. And so it's kind of serious. And, um, and I do touch on that in my book. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
So ask any parent today, and they have to admit that raising children now is different than we were as as kids. And and as you just mentioned in, in what you were just talking about, even looking at the difference between your daughter and your son. And I'm not talking about the typical cliche when I talk about us as you know, when we were young, when I was young, I had to walk to school uphill both ways in the snow with no shoes. What I hear from my friends, you know, and, and people in my audience is when I'm speaking or coaching clients is it's a, a frustration, a confusion, fear, sometimes even just mm-hmm. surrender when it comes to their kids spending an excessive amount of time on screens to uh-huh. communicate, to self-regulate, to gain entertainment, reduce stress while also knowing at the same time that they are often committing similar acts that they're that are that's leaving them stressed or overwhelmed or disconnected being on the phone at all nights or you know checking facebook or or checking emails so can you tell us in your view how parenting is different parenting like actual parenting is different now than it had been before and what this means for how we parent in the digital age Sure. Um, Yeah, it's different because parents have a lot more to manage now. We didn't have the digital world. It was a whole world that didn't exist 20 years ago, uh, 15 years ago, that we didn't really have to. There just was we had a lot more time to focus on real life because there was no nothing else. There was no alternative. So that's it, that the plate, you know, they have a lot more to manage now these days. And so it's really important to understand and be self-aware have them to be very aware how they're interacting with their devices so they can be good role models for their kids i don't think i actually talked that much about durable for your first question i think it's important for for mindset purposes for parents to kind of figure out one of the problems is that people are not prioritizing uh, as perhaps they could in the situation. So durable means to last a long time and to be effective, or the old car commercials used to say built built to last. Mm-hmm. So we as human beings have certain wonderful things about us in our bodies, our minds, our spirits, and then we have our beautiful relationships with each other. We have to understand what what our strengths are and then try to keep those things durable as possible. So for instance, um, just to take the simplest example with eyesight, our eyes are meant to see far and near. And there's an epidemic of myopia in the world because of um, Mm. Mm. at a certain focal length. The focal length is the length between your eye and your screen. And that if a child with developing eyesight and developing brain is always looking at that focal length, it can affect their actual vision. Hmm. And so I think that's the simplest thing parents can start doing is understanding that, yeah, there is some impact to your child always looking at the screen because parents will just like smack their head and they, oh my gosh, you know, they're just always looking at screens. Okay, it's time to step in and start to manage that and help your kids keep their eyesight durable by looking up from the screen every 20 minutes, um, which I call the 20-20-20 rule. Um, mm-hmm. And you keep the, all they have to do is look away every 20 minutes off into the distance through, you know, at least 20 uh, feet away, which is out the window. If there's a window near, look out the window. And that's one way. So that's just their physical self, the kids, and how 
the way they interact with their technological tools can affect their eyesight, which is one of their primary human resources uh, that they don't want to mess up. So it's, it's this matter of for, for parents to see the beauty in their child and how wonderful they are and their special attributes and to protect them as opposed to deferring to how they're using their vices, even if they're really f- having fun, that might not be the best thing to keep themselves durable. Another thing is moving around. Um, you know that there's an obesity epidemic and being sedentary, sitting around and playing on screens and has an impact on our metabolism and that we as human beings, we're animals, human animals, we need to move. So parents need to, again, make that a priority of their parenting. And so I think it's really flipping this around and sort of being like, wait a minute, we have to keep ourselves as human beings strong and capable because we have so much competition from AI and robots and everything else we darn well better to keep ourselves durable. So it's just really flipping that mindset to be protective and strengthening of our human characteristics. Mm. Yes, really important. And I, of course, am listening to you talking about enhancing the strengths of our young people and of ourselves and making sure that we keep those strengths sharp because, of course, that's what makes us different and interesting and, and gifted in all these different ways. Now, we've talked to some wonderful authors and experts in the past about different aspects of the human brain. And this is something that you talk about in your books. And I I really want to hone in on it for a moment. Karen Young, we talked about anxiety in the brain. Dr. Lynn Kenny and Wendy Young, we talked about anger and big feelings in the brain. So we've talked about it. We've even talked about stress in the brain with Lori Light. But because you've done so much work on this idea of durability in humans, I'd love for you to tell us what you feel parents really need to understand about the brain so that our children can thrive and survive during this time of Google and GPS and smartphones and social media. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm glad to to do that. And I'm going to try to make it as simple as possible. The brain uh, takes about 25 years to develop. So all that time, uh, it's going through different processes in a developmental way. So step by step by step. Mm -hmm. In the very beginning years, um, a child, a baby, is studying caregivers, parents' faces as they're giving them bottles, as they're feeding them with a spoon, uh, with the breast, whatever it is. Uh, The the child is studying very carefully the, the, the adult's eyes, the way their mouths move. Their brains are their brain pathways are connecting at an enormously fast rate. Okay, so it's boom, 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 it's really, and they're, they're just little sponges soaking everything in through their senses, all their five senses, which is tasting and touching, seeing and hearing uh, and smelling. And they need to suck it all in through all those senses and they need to study faces. So right from the very beginning, Parents should understand the power that they have just only with their face and their voice and their touch, that what they're doing is creating an attachment with their child. So the child is forming a foundation of a love attachment, but also watching the face in order to promote language development. That is happening at the very early part of life. And 
So that's an important aspect is for parents to understand how quickly their kids' brains are making connections at that time. And if they could have full sensory connect, uh, if they have a full sensory way of experiencing the world, uh, they their brains are going to be making the best and fastest connections. Now, the flip side of that is early in life, that if a child is distracted, you know, if they're using a 2D screen device, uh, not all of their senses are being engaged, and mm-hmm. it can affect brain development at that point. Uh, I do have this metaphor for uh, when kids are having a full sensory experience, they're touching, they're tasting, they're going around, they're exploring their their little world around them. Um, their brains are sort of like in a more of a bushy fashion, their brains are making connections. But if they're always in a 2D environment, their brains aren't branching out in certain areas. And so I can pair that with a broccolini, which is kind of skinny. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's really tells the tale of a parent's job to try to protect, to actually get out of the way and let their child experience the world with all their five senses at that time, rather than sort of hijack some of their senses by allowing their child to sit in a 2D environment for too long. Um, kids need to do what the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends that we never had to think before, Dr. Robin. We never had to think about is my child actually getting outside? Is my child actually moving around properly? Mm-hmm. Because we didn't have attractive devices such as iPads and phones, the kids are very comfortable using them. Right. But they're right. not learning. They're not learning. If they're not having a three-dimensional, 360-degree experience, which they need for full brain development. I, I appreciate what you're saying here. And I like in your book, you talk so much about that attachment factor. Uh, I remember you quoted Stephen Covey in uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, who uh, said, in he had said that uh, machines are considered efficient when they churn out the most work in the least amount of time, but that in order for people, to thrive, they have to do the opposite. Stop what you're doing and listen. And you're talking about attachment in this manner. You're talking about uh, Catherine Steiner Adair, who who um, does a lot of studies in this area. She mentioned that uh, kids give up their parents, and tech um, becomes the 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 go-to parent, and it's actually leaving kids uh, feeling mad and sad and lonely, and parents missing these, what she calls the mini moments of childhood. Um, I know in your parenting course, you you talk about ensuring that positive, secure attachment and that when parents are really focused on their screens, they're, you know, they're on their iPads. You, you quoted um, some child who was saying that they felt like their their parent was always on the on the iPad, and and they sort of like they, they just wish that their parents would would tune back in. So at the same time, I just think it's interesting that we want the secure attachment. Of course, we want to feel connected with our child. the The children we're feeling the children are on on screens too much. The children are feeling like parents are on screens too much. Mm-hmm. So clearly, there needs to be some kind of change. But for us to just simply, you know, be here and and 
and say, all right, let's get off the screens is probably easier said than done. So what is your, what would you say your, your, your really top takeaways around how we can start some new habits in the household so that both parents and kids are relieved of, of the screens at, I guess, certain times and are connecting with each other, creating that secure attachment, especially if parents who are listening right now are saying, oh, I feel like I've not done a great job doing that and I'd like to build that better. I want to be reconnected with my child. Sure. Uh, I think they should feel more, they should feel hope because we are just, we're we're grappling with what descended on us. I like to call it digital manna from heaven that Mm. iPhone, smartphones just kind of appeared. We saw that commercials on TV and just bought them. We didn't, and even the developers didn't really understand the long-term impact it was going to have on kids and ourselves. And so now we're getting a handle on it. Um, I have said there's no lunchbox to contain social media, which means there really have not been many designs around um, helping parents help their kids learn to live well with technology. Mm. And Mm. so perhaps the simplest one that some people have seen probably on TV in, in PSAs and stuff like that is having a way to make uh, mealtime uh, in uninterrupted. And so I make something called the Harmony Basket out of uh, sustainable materials from fair trade countries and stuff like that. It says it's a really nice basket. It says Harmony on it. I put it away from our kitchen table and anybody who approaches the table throws their devices in there, silences them, put them in there. And I say that the attention stealers can go over there because when we sit down together at meals, it may be the only time in the day that we do it, that's where we have our eye contact. That's when we're seeing each other. That's when kids are building those skills that they're gonna need in the workplace, such as patience, taking your turn in a conversation, um, you know, just having a conversation generally. And here's the thing, before you dismiss it as just sort of a cliche, having a basket by the table or a shoebox or whatever you wanna have there, uh, including the adults, that you, a lot of the way we communicate is without words. That's why texting is of limited value in terms of conveying a lot of nuanced feelings. But when you're sitting there across from your child, especially on a regular basis, you know, two, three, seven times a week, you're, if your eyes are open, your ears are open, you're observing them and you can watch them as they're talking and you, you ask a question, you can see in their eyes that maybe something's bothering them. Mm-hmm. And at that point, perhaps another time, you could gently probe and see, hey, you know, something wrong. If you hadn't looked up from the table, this is Catherine Steiner at Dare's point. If you hadn't been looking at them, you might have missed it. She calls mm-hmm. it the many moments of childhood. I just say it's the any moments of childhood. It's your way of obser- observing how they're doing, and it's it's critical. And so that's why it's really important for people to understand this word attachment. What does it mean? It means to watch, to keep an eye and an ear on your child. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think that that's a really good tactic. And I know a lot of people do use it. Uh, I am grateful for our dinner time because you're right. It is a time when we're sitting down and we're able to talk about our day or 
you know, what bothered us or what, what, what went well, uh, roses and thorns, we call it, uh, at, if we go around the dinner table and talk about what went well and what, you know, what our favorite moments were, um, but also just, you know, finding out what's going on in, in our children's worlds and they can find out what's going on in our world. So I think that's really important. Trisha Prabhu is a, is a Harvard scholar. I think she's maybe 18 right now, but she's given TED Talks. She's developed some special tools that that kids can use with their phones to double check their texts before they send them. Mm. So that's been great. But I interviewed her and I've heard her speak a couple times now. She has a statistic that she quotes that teenagers or maybe middle schoolers do not alert their parents to uh, serious cyberbullying uh, for seven to nine months. There's this lag period where they're not telling their parents. And who knows what they're grappling with all that time. Mm. And my point is, if we're sitting at the, the dinner table and we can see that we can see distress in our child's face, if it's just for a moment, that might that might have been our only chance to even get in there and, and and just see something within that seven to nine months and perhaps stave off a lot of pain and trouble for our kids. Right, right. One of the other things that we certainly need that is uh, different as a human than as some of the technology is sleep. And sleep is, I think, one of the coveted things that is often taken for granted, but people crave it and often lament the loss of it. I know on my Dr. Robin Silverman page on Facebook, anytime I ask a question for my question of the day about what people might do if they had additional time or what their favorite thing is to do or what present their family might give them on a birthday, uh, that would be the best. It's it's literally always the same. More sleep. I mean, it's like one after the other. Sleep, 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 sleep. I and mean, it's a little bit tongue in cheek, but really serious. So in your book, you say that sleep does to the brain what a dishwasher does to the dishes. Researchers tell us that when we sleep, harmful waste products that have built up during the day are flushed away. And you have some very practical tips on how we can recapture some more sleep. And I know people are listening right now because sleep so love it, love it, love it. These are things that would be helping us to make be more durable. Obviously, we get more sleep or more durable. So can you give us some specific tips and takeaways of what we can do tonight to help us all, kids and parents, get better sleep? Sure. I'm so happy to be able to talk about this. So thank you. Uh, this is one of the easiest ways that you can redesign your household and redesign your family habits. And that is to make sleep a priority. Now, what that means is you want to protect sleep. The idea is with your child, they are going to be more awesome tomorrow <laughs> if they sleep tonight. They are going to be able to learn better. They're, they're actually, whatever they learned in school today is going to be able to be brought into their long-term memory better if they have uninterrupted sleep. And the next day, they're going to be less grumpy, and they're going to do better on the test because not only does this, the, there's a a dishwashing element of, on the brain that all the uh, the waste products are washed away during sleep. It also is memory consolidation. This is when they remember stuff long term. If this brain is allowed to do its thing while they're sleeping, it's not going to happen if they're interrupted. It's not going to happen if they don't get to certain sleep stages. So therefore, 
the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends that there be no electronics in the bedroom, or what I say, conversely, in a more positive way, is charge your devices out of the bedroom and to take your stuff and have them out of the bedroom. That's game consoles and those things that don't require charging. And that's so easy. And that really has to start from the very get-go with, with parents. And I think one way they can do that is to provide an alarm clock for their child when it's when they get old enough that they need an alarm clock and not you to wake them up and not to use a device or a cell phone for that sort of thing. And to, from the beginning, make the bedroom a sanctuary. We are in, we're, we're digest, we're like bringing in data all day. It just, it's like this fire hose. So we need some time to digest that information. And if we make the bedroom a sanctuary uh, where there isn't, there aren't any devices, including Alexa stuff and those things like that, they, we are going to have a chance to digest the information, listen to our conscience, listen to ourselves. It, it has so many benefits to have a bedroom that's a sanctuary. Um, and so I think that's a way to look at it. Use an alarm clock. Make your focus on sleep. Hey, mm -hmm. honey, I, I know that you like talking to your friend on FaceTime, but we're going to have to put the, you know, put it away for right now because um, you need to be able to be recharged in the morning, you know, just like your device is recharged. Mm -hmm. So I've actually come up with a method of doing that kind of fun. It's a trainer for kids when they get their phone to take it into the kitchen and to charge it in the kitchen. So it's it's making a habit out of taking the phone and having kind of a ritual of charging it in the kitchen. Um, I call it phone food, and they look kind of like food, and there's a little story to go along with it. But it's the idea is to train the child to separate from the device, which is another thing we want to do as parents. Have the kid understand who is yourself and who's your technological support? What's your tool? You know, you're not dominated by the tool. You're in charge of the tool. Mm -hmm. So my little story with the, the phone food that I've made for the kitchen is that the, the kid outsmarts the phone in the story. So we want to empower our kids to be to understand how smart they are. And their tool is just that. It's a tool. Mm -hmm. So physically separating from the device is another skill of durability. This is myself, and I can sit here and not have to have my hand on a device. That's a skill, and we need to teach it to our children and ourselves. So I recommend, I'm not going to be telling adults what to do because they're adults, but consider charging your own phone in the bathroom somewhere farther away so at least it's out of reach. Maybe you want to have it so you can hear it if there's an emergency phone call, but get it far away so you can't see it. The lights are not interrupting your sleep. Uh, noises are not interrupting your sleep. And that's how you're going to get better sleep. Mm. Really important uh, to create those habits and to be a good model for our children. Now, as you know, we're all about scripts here on the show. And I know you just gave us one about sleep. If you had a child in front of you who loves spending time on screens, and as you mentioned in the beginning of this interview, doesn't really want to go outside, doesn't want to ride his bike, doesn't want to go out for a walk or pick up rocks or play ball or build with, or even build with blocks. Um, what do you say to this child to inspire change in his or her behavior so that they that child can become a more durable human? 
Well, it's almost like you you have to have some alternatives around. Like if even if they want to be a on devices and entertained that way, sometimes the rest of the environment is sterile. There's no, there are no crayons, there's no paper, there are no toys, there's nothing. You got to have them around. And then if you do tell them that, hey, it's time to do something else, then there's an alternative. You yourself could be someone who wants to go, you know, let's both go out and shoot baskets. Mm. You know, let's go take a quick walk. And so it, I think it is a matter of uh, providing alternatives for the child and to say, you know, hey, that's really fun. Acknowledge whatever they're doing is lots of fun. Uh, but to make you, you know, as awesome as you can be, you need to do some other things too and have them understand about their bodies and say, you know, your muscles need you right now. You need to use them, you know. And so that's the time to go outside and uh, just have some fun out there. Um, and I have a suggestion for parents about, helping their kids understand how they need to be balanced and do a lot of different things. The American Academy of Pediatrics has something called the media time calculator. And I like it because a parent can sit down with a child, say, okay, you put in their age and their name and the, this 24 hour calculator calculates in, they need 11 hours of sleep. So what used to be a big, big square that said media time on it shrinks. And then, um, then you say, well, oh gosh, you know, you got to eat meals for at least an hour a day. So you click on that and the media time shrinks. And then you add, oh my gosh, you got to go to school for five hours today. We got to add that in too. And you just add it in and that media time shrinks. And by the time the child sees all the things they need to do to be well balanced, um, there's only a little bit of time left for free play on media. It's just a good visual way to do that. That is good. And with our, our kids being so visual these days, it's it's wonderful to have something that really shows them in a, a fun way how to how to see their their need for balance and, how, and what actually creates that. So at this point, I'd love to get your top tip. What should parents be doing, teachers, coaches, what should we be doing as adults to help our kids thrive and become durable in this very digital world? Well, to be accessible, I guess that's what comes into my mind. I mean, I had thought about respect your child's brain development, but I think it if you say be there, be accessible, look at them yourself, the parent mm. or the coach or the teacher is just to really be conscious of your own actions and to attempt to know, be sensitive when people are looking at you and they want your attention at, in the moment. Um, and that, that increases trust and attachment. And the thing about attachment is that secure attachment is that it leads to more secure adults. Uh, if a child is secure that they can, that their, their loved one is really looking at them, they are going to be, well, research has shown that they have, they're less anxious. They have a lot more stability um, as an adult. So it's very important to uh, look and listen at, at kids. And then, of course, not be afraid to uh, suggest that they leave their comfort zone 
by showing them alternatives to whatever they're doing when they're um, having fun on their devices. So it's, it's important to actually take the bull by the horns, redesign your life, redesign your household with a few simple habits in that. Um, so that's why I've created the pledge, which is a way to uh, have your your family agree together, hey, let's try these few things over the next few weeks and see if we can make ourselves, our relationships, our attachment and our durability a priority. Um, and rather than let our, te- our devices just run all over us, mm-hmm. it's a way to provide some boundaries um, so you can maintain yourself in various ways that you need to. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'd hope you'll tell us where we can access that and in the resource of the week where we can get more information about you and your books and everything that you bring to the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the the pledge is durablehuman.com slash pledge. And they can uh, get right at that free pledge. Which Excellent. Is and the day. other information would be on your website, right? On, at durablehuman.com. Right. And then I have my online classes that I'm starting. That's durablehuman.com slash durable you. That's where you can get information on that. Excellent. Excellent. That would be awesome. I just want to thank you so much, Jennifer, for your insights and your strategies and talking to us about how we can kind of get back our health. I mean, I really feel like that's the underlying idea here that we are taking ourselves back and not allowing these devices to govern us, but allowing us to use them as needed for things that we uh, require, but making sure we put them away so that we can do the important stuff as well. So thank you so very much. Thank you for this opportunity. Of course. Well, I've got my takeaways and sweet friends, I know you have yours. Let's discuss them. Come up on Facebook. We can go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page or let's chat about it at drrobinsilverman.com or twitter.com slash drrobin. I'm also on Instagram under Dr. Robin Silverman. And if you love this podcast like I did, I hope you'll go up to iTunes and rate and review it. It's so important for exposure on iTunes. It allows people to find this podcast so that they can use these solutions that they hear you, you hear on this podcast and use them in their own own homes. I truly appreciate it if you'd go ahead and do that. That's all the time we have for today. My fellow parents, leaders, and educators, thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com. So many great podcasts up there, and the show notes to this podcast will be up there as well. I look forward to weathering the storm and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even on the days when you fall short, you've got this, you're here, you're getting the information you need. I know it's not easy, but never forget there's always tomorrow. Parenting is the ultimate do-over. I know that some of you might say, oh, the phone has been in my child's room for all this time, or I've been using the, the iPad at the dinner table. That's okay. Right now, this is the time that we can shift. We can change. You can do it differently. It's not that the way you've done it is the way you'll need to do it. You can change anything just by making that choice. So now I know that there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet sanity, but please know you are 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week.
You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.